Welcome to the 72nd episode of Deloika, a podcast between two friends about the latest in the politics, society, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tankilisan. I'm Sweden Lee. This week we have a very special interview with Wilson Leung from the Progressive Lawyers Group in Hong Kong, where we're going to break down and talk about the recent protests that's happening in Hong Kong right now. Yeah,、um, I think we're finally fulfilling the politics in the world segment of our tagline,、um, but we thought we'll be so remiss to not talk about this, and we had the great opportunity to get to know Wilson and talk to him about the situation on the ground, what he hopes or fears would happen, and the larger significance of the Hong Kong. Protest movement、um, to the wider world, and we hope that you know, in having this conversation with Wilson and keeping abreast of the news that's happening in Hong Kong, that all of our listeners all around the world will continue to keep themselves updated on what's going on and、uh, make sure you you know what's happening with the situation over there. So here's to it. Uh, my name is Wilson Leung,、uh, and I'm a lawyer、uh, practicing in Hong Kong,、uh, and I'm a, a member of the Progressive Lawyers Group, and we're a group of lawyers、um, who work towards uh, promoting uh, rule of law and human rights in Hong Kong,、uh, and we were formed、uh, in the aftermath of the Umbrella Movement. So, for those who are uninitiated,、mm-hmm. could you briefly tell us, or not so briefly? Um, tell us more about the background of the Umbrella Movement and what kind of is inspiring、uh, people from Hong Kong to protest. Sure.、Um, well, basically, the relationship between Hong Kong and China is supposed to be,、um, you know, after the handover back from the British in 1997.、Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a system in place called One Country Two Sy-、uh, One Country Two Systems, and basically the deal is that. We were supposed to go back to the rule、um, under Chinese rule, but maintain a high degree of autonomy,、mm-hmm. uh, and also to have、um, you know all the civil and political、uh, rights you know that that we used you know, were used to having,、uh, and also to maintain a separate、uh, you know legal and、uh, financial system、uh, from the rest of China,、mm-hmm. and that's supposed to last until at least two thousand and forty-seven. Um, and also, part of the deal is that we're supposed to move towards、uh, universal suffrage for electing our leaders and the、um, legislature. Yeah. But then, you know, the the moves have been very slow towards、uh, democracy.、Mm-hmm. And what happened in two thousand and fourteen was that the Chinese central government、uh, basically said, "Okay, we're going to let you choose the leader." Um, because we promised you universal suffrage, right? But first of all, we're going to have a small committee who pre-screens all the candidates first,、mm-hmm. uh, and and you know we're going to screen out and give two to three candidates, you know, for、uh, the Hong Kong public to choose,、mm-hmm. uh, and so that produced a lot of dissatisfaction,、um, you know, because it was pretty easy to see that this was you know basically fake democracy. Yeah. Um, and you know, so that led to to protests, 
initially it was a pretty small protest, um, but then the police and the government saw, oh, all these people are coming on the streets. So they started releasing a lot of tear gas, uh, you know, to unarmed protesters. Uh, and, you know, that was very shocking to the Hong Kong public. And then a lot of people came out into the street. Um, and the end result is that they occupied um, the central uh, business district for um, 79 days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, you know, it was very peaceful. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, lots of international media came and, and they saw, uh, you know, these peaceful protesters. You know, a lot of them were even doing, um, you know, cleaning up after themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a corner where, where students were doing homework. Uh, you know, some teachers came to volunteer and to teach them. Uh, and so, you know, it was, a, it was kind of like a utopia. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, that did not gain any concessions from the government. Um, so eventually, after 79 days, then the government just said, OK, we're going to clear you guys off now. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so that, that became, um, you know, that was five years ago. Um, and so it, it hasn't really moved towards... Um, any greater democracy or freedoms since then. Yeah. Um, and it's probably gotten worse um, since then. And so that, that led to sort of a buildup uh, of pent-up frustration mm-hmm. um, over the past five years uh, until, you know, it, it triggered off, uh, you know, this uh, round of, of protests. This is the face of the resistance. Young, angry, and back on the streets of Hong Kong. Millions have marched against a planned extradition bill. But it's mainly the youth who've clashed with police. Determined to fight, but terrified of being identified by the powers they're challenging. I use cash to pay everything. I use those social media that will not share my information to the others. I'm afraid of the Chinese government. I just don't trust them. That's so terrible. And I really want freedom. I don't want to. I don't want my freedom to be deprived. With this fight, the authorities have lost a generation. They don't trust the government. They don't trust the police. And the longer the standoff continues, the deeper the divisions. Siobhan Robbins, Sky News, Hong Kong. That was a great encapsulation of the umbrella movement, sort of like the pent-up frustration, as you said, for the protesters. Can you talk a little bit about the bill that is at the core of this year's protest with the extradition bill and sort of just give us a little bit of context on what what that's proposing to do? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, basically what the bill is going to allow or w- was proposing to do was to allow people to be extradited from Hong Kong to mainland China. Mm-hmm. Um, because the existing situation so far is that uh, there's no extradition arrangement between Hong Kong and the rest of China. Right. Um, you know, so, so people have at least have a little bit of security mm-hmm. in that, uh, you know, you won't you know, be wanted for a crime in China and then get an extradition uh, request from China and gets sent off there because the fear is it would be you know activists Hong Kong activists who are protesting against the policies 
the Chinese government is trying to impose. And yeah, I think I think part of the fear is activists, um, you know, but but it was also a, a wider fear because um, I think there's a great mistrust of the Chinese legal system, mm-hmm. and so that you know basically anyone who has any dealings with Chinese uh, you know things on the mainland, you know, may get caught up you know with a Chinese court case. Uh, and then get extradited. Um, so, f- so for example, it could be a business person or right, exactly, exactly, a business person, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who gets caught up in a dispute there, uh, and then you know gets uh, 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 extradited to the to the mainland. Um, another example is um, you know Christian missionaries who are operating. Hong Kong Christian missionaries who go to the mainland, you know, to preach, and they're presumably. Preaching like underground, right? Because it's not state approved. Exactly, exactly. Uh, churches or yeah, things like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of them will probably be under the guise of a different uh, sort of activity. Yeah. You know, sort of a charitable activity or, you know, teaching English or, or whatnot. Um, and, you know, given the uh, crackdown on the mainland um, on the different sorts of religion, uh, especially things that are not sanc- state sanctioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there is a fear amongst Christian groups in Hong Kong that their activities in China will lead to some uh, uh, you know legal court case, uh, and then they'll get an extradition request and then get extradited from the Hong Kong to to the mainland. Mm-hmm. That's basically what what triggered off the you know this round of um, opposition. So what was the you know the protests happened the the major ones happened a few weeks ago what was the situation like on the ground um, when that was happening Yeah basically there's been about three big protests that have gotten into the international news yeah. um so the first one was on the um 9th of June mm-hmm. uh, you know when there's a huge march uh through town uh, and, you know, the, the organizers estimated that uh, up to a million people were marching. Mm-hmm. You know, that was probably the biggest march in, you know, 20 to 30 years in Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so that, that in itself was pretty incredible, you know, to see that. Um, but then, you know, disappointingly, a few hours after the march ended, the government immediately put out a um, press release saying that, you know, thank you very much, um, but we're not going to change anything. <laughs> uh, and, you know, so that got people enraged, right? Especially, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of the young people. Right. Um, so, so then the second, the second protest that was widely reported was a few days after, mm-hmm. uh, 12th of June. So that was the one that uh, everyone saw in, involving tear gas and, and uh, rubber bullets and, you know, all the police beatings and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that was pretty horrific um, to see, you know, just watching from you know, far away, you know, and, and TV and so on. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, basically what happened is, uh, you know, some of the groups decided that to surround the, the legislature. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, so, so to prevent them from holding the meeting to pass the law. Mm-hmm. So, so they surrounded that. Uh, and then, you know, more and more people came out to support that. More and more people came you know, so then the police decided, you know, we, we have to take very, very tough action. You know, so then they just decided to lob, uh, you know, tear gas. Right. Then they just started to um, start shooting at people. Uh, you know, some people, you know, were, were beaten pretty badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in a lot of the news reports, you could see, uh, you know, people basically uh, that are not armed and already, you know, already on the ground. Yeah. And, and, you know, you see... You know, ten policemen just um, just beating the guy up uh, with, with truncheons. So, so that was um, you know pretty horrific uh, um, to see. Uh, 
And uh, and then the next big protest was on the 16th of June. Um, so that, that one, organizers estimated uh, almost 2 million people joined. Uh, and, you know, so that was, again, another big march. And, you know, what, what I think what led a lot of people to come out that time uh, was to see, you know, the, the level of police violence uh, a few days before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that, that was probably the biggest march in uh, Hong Kong's history. And I feel like people who are not living in Asia or Asian perhaps don't really quite get the sense of the difference between uh, Hong Kongers and people who are from yeah. China, mainland China. They're like, oh, why isn't it just a part of a thing? Do you talk a little bit about the perception and difference between that? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, we've been, you know, in Hong Kong, we've had 150 years of, um, you know, British rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, so that's, that's led to quite a different history and culture as compared to the rest of China. Yeah. Uh, you know, the rest of China, they went, went through a very different phase of history mm-hmm. where they went through first the so-called Nationalist Party and then the Communist takeover uh, and then sort of various upheavals yeah. and, you know, basically a, an authoritarian regime all along with basically mm-hmm. you know, not much protection of, of human rights. Uh, whereas in Hong Kong, we've grown up, you know, for the past you know decades with a system with you know independent courts, you know, rule of law, uh, you know, fair degree of um, uh, human rights protections, yeah. uh, and so that's led to quite two different systems, um, and you know, two mm-hmm. two different populations with with sort of different value systems, I would say. Yeah, uh, and so even with the reunion, you know, reunification. Um, uh, I think there's still still quite a big difference in mindset, I would say, between people from the, the two different sides of the border. Is, is it partly? Um, I also I spent a brief amount of time in Hong Kong, like I interned there mm-hmm. uh, at some point, and I had both Chinese friends that I worked with and Hong Kong friends I worked with, and right, it, it's just seem their value systems are completely different and. Sometimes how they viewed each other in the space of Hong Kong kind of was a little bit at odds, and there's a little bit of tension there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And I think that's something that people who are who hasn't spent time there and worked with people there don't really get a sense of. Yeah, it sounds like you know, even though at the core of the protests, both this year's and 2014 with the umbrella protests, it's it's about legal repercussions it seems like there's also a cultural tension right like yeah. people from identity Kong, yeah people in hong kong may not necessarily identify themselves primarily as chinese they probably identify themselves stronger with hong kong culture and identity yeah yeah i think i think uh, that's been shown in quite a lot of surveys um since the handover um which is an you know surprisingly um an increasing number of people in hong kong uh, and especially amongst the young who see themselves as Hong Kongers first, mm-hmm. you know, you know, much more than they see themselves as as Chinese. 
Mm-hmm. You know, in various social movements, it's always the young people who who are the leaders and at the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a difference too between the older generation and the younger generation, because a lot of the uh, older generation they they sort of grew up in the you know British colonial days, mm-hmm. um, and they they did not really have any choice uh, or reason to fight for a different system. Mm-hmm. Because it was, um, you know, mainly working well back then, and Hong Kong was developing um, economically yeah. quite well. Um, so I think a lot of the older generation, when they were young, um, you know, they did not have to or feel a need to fight against the system, mm-hmm. um, and there was more a feeling that they could work, they could thrive within the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, they could work well within the system, you know, work hard, and you know, build up. Uh, you know their own life, and which is by and large what a lot of people did in the eighties and nineties. Um, but I think it's a lot tougher for the younger generation now, um, where they feel like the system isn't really working for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so in you know in terms of the um, you know the social rights, uh, human rights, uh, and, and so on, which you know which they know about because they they have exposure mm. you know to how things work in. Uh, liberal democratic society. So they know how that works, but the system in Hong Kong isn't delivering that for them. Um, but on, on the other hand, the, the, the material aspect, the economic aspects, that's not delivering um, for them either. Right. Um, you know, because Hong Kong is one of the most expensive places to live, um, especially in terms of uh, living space, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, wages for young people, you know, have really stagnated. Um, so I think they feel that the, you know, it, it's not delivering the economic benefits to them either. Uh, and so I think th- there's a lot of feeling that they're trapped on both sides. So they're not getting either of the benefits. Right. I think there is a feeling that, you know, they really want to change the system. It almost feels a little bit like for a lot of young people in Hong Kong, mm. uh, because um, the government isn't really speaking on their behalf or acting in their best interest, protests and sort of like these very, very public expressions of their desires is the best way to get their point across. Yeah, I think I think they feel that there's not many other ways that they can get their way across. Mm. Um, because, you know, the, the government does try to make a show of um, oh, we're listening to young people. Right. Um, and, you know, th- so they have this, you know, they set up a youth commission uh, and so on, which is supposedly to help them understand young people. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but one can see that doesn't really work because, you know, it's headed by a guy who's in his 40s, but he happens to be the son. That's not the, that's not the bad part. The part is he happens to be the son of one of the richest people in Hong Kong. Oh wow! <laughs> um, you know, so totally relatable. Uh, yeah, and and he, you know, he keeps putting his foot in his mouth by you know saying things that you know demonstrate that you know he's born with a silver spoon. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, one of his memorable lines was, um, he says, "Oh, I, I don't, I don't see what's a problem mm-hmm. with buying a flat. You know, just you know, try to go on a few less holidays." Oh gosh! Uh, you know, and people are thinking, "What?" <laughs> you know, you just don't know how you know how difficult it is for people who are not born 
<laughs> with a billion dollars. And I think, you know, with the extradition bill, right, in many ways, it feels like it's not targeting the people who are already in the upper echelon of the social class. You know, they have a good relationship with China, maybe because of businesses. So, But it's targeting the people who are trying to affect change, trying to uh, create a better Hong Kong for the future. And of course, those in the upper class are not going to feel the need to to protest against something like this because it doesn't really affect them that much. Um, I, actually, no. I, actually, I would say um, the interesting thing about the current extradition saga, and you know why this has taken off um, you know, so much compared to other issues, uh-huh. is because on this issue, actually, a lot of the previously uh, you know conservative or um, you know pro government uh, sort of groupings actually came out to speak out against it. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, yeah, it was, it was very interesting. You know, a lot of the big, uh, the international chambers of commerce, so the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, British Chamber of Commerce, you know, they actually came out, you know, to, to speak against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, some of the business groups uh, actually came out to speak against it. You know, some of the um, more conservative, politically conservative church groups or churches, they came out to speak against it. Mm-hmm. And that's the interesting thing about the current um, saga is that a lot of people th- felt threatened by it. Mm. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned that you know, people with close relationships to China may not feel threatened. Um, but I think the mistrust of the system is such that uh, you never know, you know, you're, you're in their good graces today, but you don't know what will happen, you know, a few years down the line. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when, when we see that um, in the news, when you look at China, you know, who's getting arrested, you know, these days, it's, you know, it's people who used to be in, in power, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think there was a fear, even amongst people who are currently close to, um, close to the government, right. that, hey, you know, I, I, there's, there's no guarantee I'll be in this position um, a few years down the line. Mm. You know, and if there's an extradition treaty, then I can't even hide by staying in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. What has been the, you know, I mean, you mentioned earlier that the the government, with the first march, the government's response was, thank you for coming out, but we're not going to listen to you. What has been the government's response since, uh, you know, since the marches have grown in size and have uh, happened more than once now? So now the the present position is that um, they've suspended the bill. Mm -hmm. Um, So they said that, okay, um, we're not going to have the legislature meet and discuss the bill, you know, for now, you know, that that's suspended, you you know, with with no time limits. And uh, they've also sort of apologized. (laughs) Um, So I I think what got a lot of people not very happy is that, you know, they they kind of apologize for not communicating well enough. Right. Uh, You're basically giving the impression that it's not, you know, they have to apologize, but mostly it's because you didn't understand it properly. Yeah. So, you know, given more, you know, given smarter people, we should have been able to, to complete the thing. <laughs> it was a marketing uh, mishap. It's nothing else other than that, clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was, um, you know, definitely some of the, um, uh, you know, the messages that they were trying to get across. Um, so, 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 so currently people are not very happy. Um, and um, also, there's not been much accountability for the police level of police violence on the 12th. Right. Um, so they've mostly stuck to their guns to say, 
well, you know, it was justified. And, you know, some people were, uh, you know, p- some people were charging the police. Um, you know, they're throwing bottles at them and so on. Mm. Was that true? Yeah. Well, I think there was a small number of people throwing plastic bottles at police. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, that's and, and, uh, you know, I think some of them were sort of charging towards the police, uh, pushing them and so on. Yeah. Uh, but certainly did not justify the, you know, the huge levels of police force. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've actually counted that there was 150 canisters of tear gas used. Wow. So, you know, which is a huge number. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've said that they arrested five people for rioting so far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so when people look at the numbers, it's okay. You you've met, you said five people are rioting, so five people are using violence. <laughs> you you've sprayed one hundred and fifty cans of um, you know of, of these tear gas bombs. It's like five people out of a million or so people. It's like disproportionate level of uh, reaction there. I think we can all agree. Yeah, exactly. And then you can see you can see on the videos that a lot of people were getting beaten. Yeah, were not throwing stuff. You know, they were basically on the ground. I think there was one where a guy was just sitting on a sitting on a bench. And then suddenly, um, you know, a policeman comes up to him and sprays him in the oh, face with, with pepper spray. Wow. Um, so, so I think what, you know, I think people are, the current situation is that people are still unhappy about, one, no responsibility taken for the police, you know, use of force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and the second is the, the refusal to just come out and say, we're withdrawing the bill. Uh-huh. You know, they've all, they're still stuck to their guns and say, okay, you know, there's a suspension and... You know, it's probably going to be difficult for us to reintroduce it. You know, but they they do stop short of saying we're going to withdraw it. Mm -hmm. So it's still on the table. Mm -hmm. And that's what the people want, like a complete withdrawal. Yeah, technically still here. And, you know, there's uh, there's always the fear that when the international attention uh, moves somewhere else, then Mm -hmm. they say, okay, well, you know, time time to restart it. Right. So I guess this shows the level of distrust there is currently between the government. And could it be perhaps seen as like, okay, we're just going to withdraw it and hope the momentum for the protest end and then reintroduce it? Yeah, I think th- I think that's the fear. I think I think it's, it's true that there's a huge level of distrust towards the government mm-hmm. um, because there's actually been um, you know several examples where they've done a similar thing where they said, okay, w- w- we're not going to... Um, uh, move forward with this proposal now. Yeah, and then they and then they go and do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, after the tension has died down. Mm. And another part of the distrust is that uh, you know, af- even after the suspension of the bill, you know, they're still you know arresting people for um, you know partaking in the protests. Wow, uh, there's a few people who were arrested while in hospital mm. when they were seeking treatment for being injured in the um, uh, 12th of June protests. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's just things like that that pe- that make people mistrust the government. Mm-hmm. Of course, they think, okay, you're just trying to, to, to put on a show. Whereas you know, mm-hmm. when people are not noticing, you're doing things like arresting them in, in hospital. Mm. What is what do you think is going to be the the outlook from now on? Like, are people? Do you think people will still go out and march until the bill is withdrawn completely? What What do you think is going to happen? I think. Um, I think we'll see a lot more of these smaller protests, certainly in the next few weeks. Um, and then after that, it's, it's a bit hard to see beyond that. Um, yeah. It's difficult to see how long it can be sustained mm-hmm. because that's always a question mark as to whether people will have you know, protests fatigue. Of course. Um, 
So I think I think there is a there is a small group of very dedicated protesters who will keep coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but whether whether you'll be seeing you know million again, uh, you know that's you know something uh, you know we need to to keep our eyes out for. Yeah, because I, I think you know the government's sort of apology. Mm-hmm. Perhaps some people got satisfied with that. You know, perhaps some people got satisfied and said, okay, they suspended it now, so we're not in grave danger. At the moment, yeah. So, so I think we'll see. Um, but I think in the longer term, um, you know, without real democratic reforms, this is just going to push the can down the road, right? Uh, because you know, there's always going to be another issue, which the government, you know, totally misjudges the public mood, you know, because they're not voted in, and you know, they, they surround themselves with their own supporters who say the things that they want to hear, right? Um, so you know, so we're just going to get. Uh, you know, in the longer term, you know, without any reforms uh, towards greater democracy, uh, we're just going to get um, you know similar crises erupting again. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's another issue uh, which gets another two million people out on the street. Is there anything the international community can do to help keep this conversation, this attention, uh, top of mind? Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, well, I think first of all, the the attention is very important. You know, as much as the Chinese government always says, you know, don't interfere in our internal affairs, and you know, we're doing the right thing, and so on. Uh, I think at the end of the day, they do take account of that. Uh, and again, mm-hmm. one one huge difference with the current extradition um, protests compared to previous crises is you actually got a lot more foreign attention, mm-hmm. both amongst people who were protesting in other countries on behalf of Hong Kong, uh, and also foreign governments who were making representations. Yeah. Um, so I think that made a big difference. Um, and so I think one thing is just to keep uh, updated on what's going on in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. keep keep abreast of the situation, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, you know, take part in actions you know, to to support Hong Kong. Um, you know, whenever there's protests, you know, in support of of the situation, um, you know, then we'll be very, very, very grateful for the international support. Right. I think for for both myself and Stephanie, and and I implore our listeners as well. You know, we will keep ourselves abreast to the news in Hong Kong, keep ourselves updated, and continue talking about it because. Uh, who knows what kind of um, slippery slope this yeah. will invite if we let democracy be eroded like this. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. We appreciate it very much, um, you know, when we have our friends overseas, um, you know, care about the situation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com 
or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at Pod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again, and see you guys next time. Bye!